do what the fuck you like, mate. Because um, I know every week you try and get me to ramble and then you hilariously start it from that beginning, which you're obviously going to do with this, you prick. No, I won't, uh, I won't. Good. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a bumper festive edition of uh, Football Unfocused. Without the bumper or the festive, um, this is the usual weekly bullshit uh, churned out by uh, two ancient uh, and historic friends. In the same way, you know, like they describe historic sex offences, we are historic, <laughs> historic, historic friends uh, from, from the early 90s. Matthew and Mark. I'm Mark. That's Matthew. Say hello, Matthew. What are you trying to say about my past? Oh, I'm mean, oh, I'll beep yeah. that. Up, yeah, you, you fucking beep that up. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you alluded last week when I asked you some probing questions about your <laughs> prize, prize possessions <laughs> that one of them may be some sort oh, of yeah. like smutty device. Um, <laughs> and also, I've known you since uh, September 1993, and I've had a lower opinion of you throughout. Um, it's what twenty-eight years. Over when, uh, 28 years. Yeah. When I was in between work, um, before before joining my current position, I was... I was Is that after at, your uh, failed attempt at entrepreneurship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was there was one business which was working in a toy factory of of a particular... A sex use. toy factory. Yeah, yeah. You can say the word, Matthew. We're all at Sex toy factory. It's a sex toy factory. Yes. And... Um, yeah, I did, I did think, I was like, oh, I can't imagine many applicants would, you know, go for that sort of role. So maybe I'll, you know, give it a go and see see if I can get a job. Mm, suck it and see. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, well, what did you think you were able to bring to that role, considering that you've admitted openly on many occasions on this podcast that you lack any practical skills? And also, you know, it's kind of an open secret that you have, you know, diminishing eyesight. Yeah. So your inability to see the product, mould the product, or <laughs> offer anything kind of practical to the product, what what good would you have been working in a dildo uh, factory? I'm, I'm open to suggestions. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Yeah. But, but they weren't. So as a result... Oh, as always, when I'm recording the podcast, my front door is going. Here we go. That's becoming like a, uh, week, <laughs> it's a week, weekly. Yeah, people will think that's rigged, but uh, Kelly will be delighted about that because she's going home for Christmas tomorrow, and that parcel was something she very much wanted to arrive before she flies out. And it means I haven't got to lug it out when I join her next week as well, which is a right touch. Okay, what is um, it? Yeah, touch. I don't, I don't know what the fuck it is. And what even is if it? I did, even um, if I did, it's going to be a present for a member of her family who there's a chance that somebody from that family might listen to this before Christmas Day. And I don't want to ruin Christmas, Matthew. I'm not the Grinch. Are you saying that her family make up one of the ten people that listen to our podcast? I think there (laughs) might be a representative in there, or certainly a a member of, uh, shall we say, a potential future um, in-law, who's a very regular uh, listener. Hello, (laughs) Kieran, if you ever uh, hear this one. shout, Shout out to you. Uh, Kieran, it's great lad, great lad. Um, It's a bit of a sad. I think the rest of them have given up. Yeah, yeah. We can give a shout out to each of our listeners. Yeah, yeah. When we look, 
uh, down each week at the statistics and you see where they're from. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's John. That's Phil. That's Stu. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's David. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's James. Uh, oh, my parents still haven't bothered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sort of, you know, glaze <laughs> over and feign interest. Yeah, they, oh. they sort of feign interest. I don't, I'm not sure they actually. I spent about 10 minutes. Yeah, but you, you, did you try and show him how to, how to listen to it? I, th- I thought I gave him a fairly in-depth tutorial. I thought you but... downloaded the app on his yeah, phone. Yeah, Yeah, but honestly, you'd have to you'd have to on a weekly basis, like load Transcribe it, and, it and yeah, write it down and, and you know, it. Like, he will he will find a way to make that not work. Um, yeah, and also he's you know more to the point, he's almost certainly completely uninterested in any of this listening to any. I mean, would you want to listen to this bollocks? If... He talks to you every day, doesn't he, on the phone? No, we we we, we exchange uh, opinions about things often via the gift of like WhatsApp. We don't chat on the phone every day. Uh, no. Right. no, but uh, he'll sort of message me about you know Ipswich Town <laughs> search for a manager or cricket. Often cricket, you know, you wake up and be like, oh fuck's sake, I thought we were gonna. Dig in, but we lost seven wickets for thirty runs or whatever. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without the fuck's sake, he's not—he's not a uh, foul-mouthed individual. He's not like me. I don't know how I ended up like this. I, I must be a fucking Barbara. disappointment. Yes, Babs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Babs uh, instilled this in me. So, uh, Matthew, on the subject of football, uh, what do you want to talk about, Matthew? I've got a couple of things we could talk about. You, you, you now. Can you get a hat trick? Because you've two weeks in a row, you come up with a. You, you did, but I, 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 I didn't want to cast an opinion. Uh, I want to do this live. Say, uh, well, yeah. So I, all the the, the ones I came up with were, were harking back to my traditional um, line of questioning, which was sort of a, a slightly morbid or socio-economic yeah. sort of angle. Um, so the first one was about whether you feel conflicted with regards to the current performance of Newcastle United. Obviously, they're a massive, well-loved club in the North, which I know you're fond of ensuring there's a a geographical spread of clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, But in light of their current ownership, you may be... Also, I doubt... I doubt they're they're well loved in the eyes of Sunderland and Middlesbrough fans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, so that was my first question. And the second one was just in light of recent, very, very recent. So Sergio Aguero has come out and retired Mm -hmm. um, due to heart condition. And there was a Man U defender, I think, (laughs) I think also had some breathing difficulties. Oh, yeah. Lindelof. Yeah. That's come off. Yeah. And... um, yeah, um, and those are my two discussion points. But Brilliant. I didn't know whether you... Th- you didn't reply to me when I suggested No, that. I want to assess your ideas live on the podcast. And, uh, I mean, yeah, de- decent, I'd say, Matthew, decent. De- Let, let's just rattle through these. I don't want to... I want to get through a, a few things. I want to make this a short, sharp, festive edition. Boom, 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 <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Keep it light. <laughs> Got to keep the energy up, uh, Lynn. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Knowing me, knowing you. Um, uh, right, Aguero, genuinely one of the best players ever to play in the Premier League. A, um, a, a along with kind of David Silva, Vincent Company, and Yaya Toure, he he kind of defined that transition of Man City from being a club with a load of money that had ambition and potential to being a club that went on to start achieving stuff. And he really was 
uh, you know, in many ways the focal point of that. Although to pick him out among those other, I mean, all of those players were really fundamental. There was two or three years when Yaya Torre was like carrying the team. And I think because they're so good now, it's too easy to probably forget just how good and, and crucial he was in the years sort of between about 2010 and 2014. 15, company, you only have to look at how much they struggled after he retired to see how how important he was. David Silva is probably the classiest uh, player that they've, they've ever had and one of the most beautifully gifted, um, you know, sort of balanced you know, appearing to be effortless footballers um, that I've ever seen, and his his achievements at international club level are are, are amazing. But Aguero's goal scoring record probably doesn't get. I think because he was in a team that that achieved such great things and played such amazing football and had these incredible moments and have won a load of trophies, he he probably doesn't get the kind of standalone uh, appreciation that maybe other players have done. Also, he's uh, despite being outrageously talented and a, and a good looking young man as well, um, he, he kind of shies away from the, the spotlight. He's a, he's a kind of modest, um, humble uh, young man, or it seems to be anyway. Maybe some of that, I heard it suggested the other day that he, um, because he was together with um, Diego Maradona's uh, daughter for quite a long period of time. I think I, don't, I can't remember whether they actually got married or not. I have very little interest in the personal lives of, um, of footballers, um, but they were, I know they were together for a long time. So I think that probably at quite a young age, useful for a formation of his character, gave him an insight into how to avoid the pitfalls of um, of just you know your your whole life being in a microscope. And he was just an, an amazing footballer, uh, absolutely amazing footballer. And it's really sad that I mean, he he's clearly the standout moment is the the last minute of injury time goal against QPR in twenty twelve that won City their first uh, league title of the modern era. And I think that that was so. You can look back now, and it's you know, you, you can see how year after year um, City are just racking up the titles but the the first one is always the hardest one to to win if you've gone a long time without winning it um as Liverpool found out in recent years and as um you know other clubs who are now in a bit of a drought like Arsenal uh and uh, Manchester United are are kind of discovering that getting back to that is is difficult and I think City went from the late 60s to 2012 and when they weren't even getting anywhere close in the meantime to winning the league and to, to look like you'd kind of thrown it away with a, a home banker against QPR where you're losing going into injury time and then you managed to get two goals, first from Dzeko uh, and then that amazing moment. And I think, you know, probably, well, I, I would be surprised if there are many neutrals that day who wanted uh, uh, another league title for Alex Ferguson. I think obviously their supporters did, but I'm pretty sure everyone else in the country, as well as clearly Man City fans, have that as a really special moment. I mean, I will never forget it. It was absolutely incredible. I was jumping around the living room like um, like it was a Liverpool goal. It was an amazing feeling, you know, and I have as, as fond of memories of that as almost anything else in my football-watching life. It was amazing. And he's, yeah, he's a great guy, and it's really sad. But it's happening more and more. I don't know whether... It'd be interesting to see whether there, whether there's kind of any studies taking place or any conclusions, or whether, in fact, it is statistically true to claim that these kind of heart problems seem to be becoming more prob- more, more um, um, common with um, modern-day footballers. I don't... Because, you know, clearly sports sports science is now at a level that, that it's never been before and the way that the players are are kind of managed and every single aspect of their physical performance is, is kind of monitored and planned and to keep them at their peak for 
as long as possible and, and all of that. Um, and you'd kind of think that would go hand in hand with anything that could affect something as fundamental as their heart and their breathing being, uh, you know, something that would be detected and managed. But evidently, you know, you see the number of cases in the last decade, um, evidently not. I, mean, I think it's always been a thing and maybe it just gets more coverage than it is now. I mean, don't forget in the early 2000s, I remember Mark Vivian Foe who played for West Ham and Manchester City dying on the pitch. I think he's playing I think it was an international game for Cameroon. So, so you know, these things have kind of always uh, happened. But players now just randomly getting breeding difficulties on the pitch. It, it, I don't know. It just feels to me like it's yeah. happening more and more. Um, and, yeah, clearly Lindelof going off uh, was a concern. I hear he's going to be okay. But I guess, you know, that must it must be worrying. Ericsson still hasn't played football. And I, I understand that he's unlikely to play for Inter Milan, even if he plays football again, because of uh, they won't insure him to um, play for the club. Because I think it's not even an Inter Milan thing. It's a Serie A thing. Someone who's had that level of a heart condition, they just won't have him on the pitch. Whether they'll make an exception for him, if he proves to be able to play, who knows? But yeah, it's, a, it's sad for Aguero to go like that because he went to Barcelona as a kind of swan song for his career. Still, with um, so it appeared two or three seasons of kind of elite. I know he was injury prone, but still, you'd you'd say you'd get twenty odd games a season out of him at, at, at a very high standard, and he gets a chance to play with with his best mate Messi at Barcelona, and then obviously Messi leaves Barcelona in disarray. Aguero has to wait a long time for his debut, and then. Um, then has the heart issue and has to retire. So, it's, yeah, it's very sad. Um, but he's a great at the game. And I guess at least if his consolation, at least it happened right at the end of his career where he's kind of done everything that he's, or almost everything that he wanted to. Um, and he can go away with his head held high and be considered one of the modern day um, greats. You know, someone like Ericsson, like, you know, after years of being a focal point of the Tottenham team that were desperately trying to become the nearly... Um, go to winning trophies from being the nearly men uh, to sort of move away and then um, looking like he'd fallen out of favourite into and then got back in the team, won the league and you kind of think, right, okay, this is going to be a sort of, you know, late 20s, his peak uh, kind of career-defining spell for him and now that that might well be over. So that's it's kind of sadder when that happens. Same with Fabrice Moramba. He was only in his, I think, early to mid-20s in twenty. Uh, 12, I think that was as well, when he um, he had his um, heart attack on the pitch at Tottenham playing for Bolton. And, uh, you know, he nearly, if it hadn't been for some guy in the crowd who was, a, you know, a, a cardio expert who was uh, it's jumping out of the crowd and saving his life, that he wouldn't still be with us. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's, um, yeah, sad, but what a great guy and a great career and all the best to him. Uh, Newcastle, um the thing is, right, you say about the conflict in terms of how badly they're doing, in a lot of ways, I don't, I'm not sure how much it matters if they go down this season because they are now financially secure and they, they will come straight back up. I know it's always difficult to make kind of guarantee predictions like that when you, the championship's a difficult division to get out of. But Newcastle, even under the Mike Ashley era, went down twice and came straight back up twice and kind of ran away with the division. I suspect they would do that again. They probably have lost a bit of favour with um, neutrals because they're now run by a sort of despotic regime. And it is, yeah, it probably is a, a little bit more difficult to kind of retain a soft spot for them. 
I'm trying to kind of not allow that to dampen my... I'm actually seeing them tomorrow night um, at Anfield. And, uh, yeah, it'll be... Yeah, I mean, there is something... I must admit, there is something now that does make me feel very, very uncomfortable about kind of what they are. But that's not... As I said a few weeks ago, it's not the fault of the fans. I feel really sorry for them. And the reason they're struggling, and I think they'll continue to struggle this season, primarily because even though they've got all this money, realistically, what level of players are they going to be able to attract in the January transfer window, which opens in a couple of weeks, that would, um, you know, keep be good enough to kind of keep them up and get them to where they want to be. Um, so if they have to kind of take one step back to then go forward, so be it. The only thing that could save them this year is that the, the, the sort of, there's four or five clubs at the bottom who all have a similar amount of points, despite like Burnley and Newcastle. If you got almost halfway through the season and you'd, you'd only won one game each... In the past, you'd be you'd be dead. Um, but they've both got a decent chance of staying up because um, Watford are in touch. But I do. It is actually starting to look already, even though we're not quite halfway there yet. That it could be three out of four to go down: um, Watford, Norwich, Newcastle, and Burnley. Um, so it's just which one of them is going to put a run together? Because in normal seasons, you'd look at it and say, "Well, someone else is going to get pulled into there." Southampton are kind of in and around there and you'd look at other newly promoted sides but I just don't think there's anyone else at this stage of the season who is um, going to be going to have a bad enough run to get sucked down and overtaken by Newcastle you know Brentford have done really well um, you know Crystal Palace are I think looking really strong and progressive under Vieira so, so I just don't yeah I'm not sure there's anyone else really who's um, I mean you know you could slightly sarcastically say Everton um, because they are you know they are genuinely really struggling even though they, they pulled one out of the bag against Arsenal last week but they're, they're having a really 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 poor run they've just lost Richarlison probably their best attacking player for potentially a couple of months that Calvert-Lewin hasn't um, played in a long time so yeah maybe then but no I think I do think it was going to be three out of the bottom four so yeah um, but then we, you know you never know they might go massive in the January transfer window and getting players that are going to save them. But we'll see. But I get, yeah, I suppose there is a bit of a, a bit of a um, kind of moral quandary now about uh, Newcastle. I guess one of the things that I, I, I would um, say about um, this current football, like this week and then moving forward um, over the next uh, couple of weeks or, or a month is what's going to happen really with the um, significant rise in COVID cases. It's beginning to feel a little bit like it did in kind of early March 2020, where you're starting to get more and more positive tests within clubs. And now some quite big games have had to be pulled. Now, I think the reason, there's a couple of things really. Firstly, I don't see really any prospects that they're going to, they're going to be able to just completely stop like they did in um, early 2020. And probably they, there's no reason why they should either. Um, but even if they kind of, even if, it, even if it looks like medically and morally they should have a break, it's almost impossible to imagine how they're going to be able to because of the way that next season has been um, changed, like the structure of it has been changed to accommodate the World Cup being in December. 
So the next season already starts in early August and then has a break in the month of uh, December and then goes on, I think, until right at the end of May rather than... Um, and so there's going to be it's going to be such an intense um, season, a load of games packed in. And you're going to have... This time of year, for example, is a time that, you know, managers love to moan about because you do get a ridiculous... But like every club plays about seven or eight games in one month as well as cup games if you're still in it and European games if you're in that. And there's going to be more of those periods next season to you know, midweek Premier League games and stuff to accommodate the World Cup. So where do you go if you start canning load of games? If you allow a fixture build up from this season to spill over, there's nowhere to go. Now you've already got a situation where two league games in the last week have been um, called off, as well as Tottenham's um, crucial Europa Conference League game. And who's you know no one will be able to enjoy Christmas until they know what's going to happen with Wren against Tottenham, um, and it just feels like there's going to be more of this. So I'm very interested to know what's going to happen. You know, um, uh, Man United's game with um, who were they even supposed to be playing? I can't even remember who they're supposed to. Be. Brentford, I think it was last night, was uh, called off. Are they then going to realistically have a, you know enough of a kind of COVID clear turnaround to play their game on Saturday? on the basis that Tottenham had to call off two games, didn't they? And essentially needed a week to 10 days of complete... I think they are playing their game on Thursday night um, against Brighton. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be... It's gonna, it could be quite a dicey period of time. And um, and it, the fact that it's fallen during the, the most intense month of fixtures in the season, you know, where you've got... Just between... When I take my own club um, as an example, so we're playing... You know, in, we, we've got, what, 10 days till Christmas... Uh, they're playing uh, tomorrow, Sunday, Wednesday, and then the following Sunday, Tuesday. I mean, that's, and then again on the Sunday. So, I mean, that's what five, six games in two weeks. You know, that's a, that's a lot of lot of football. And if you, and if you then need to cancel a game, where where do you put it? You know, and then you go into the new year and international football returns in the spring. Champions League and Europa League and Conference League knockout games start again and you start you know so that's going to be quite interesting um, and I love I love uh, this time of year I know that you know probably it's probably not the best thing to do physically for the, from the players point of view but it is um, it is uh, great for fans because you just get that, especially in that lull period between Christmas and New Year there's just football on the whole time <laughs> and darts I love sitting and watching the darts um, but um yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you, I mean, you, you know as much about this as I do, Matt. I mean, you know, you can see the way that society's going at the moment. Like, do you think that... Because I think there's a... I don't think we're going to go over another lockdown, but I do think there's possibly a chance that they might put in, like, a couple of weeks circuit breaker in January or something just to kind of take the pressure off the NHS. And if they do that, I'm assuming that would involve probably the continuation of football, but probably back to empty stadiums for a couple of weeks. Um from a completely selfish point of view, I hope that happens in January rather than further down the line because it would have minimal impacts on my my match attending because uh, <laughs> uh, we've only got one home game in uh, January um, and I might not even be going to it for personal reasons. But um, uh, yeah, well, I think they'll try and they'll obviously, I reckon they'll sort of do some sort of lateral flow test if you can pass a certain number and if you're double jabbed or triple jabbed. Um, then I think they'll just let people out of, you know, where they don't have to self-isolate. So 
I think they'll put in enough leeway that people can. That the yeah, but how do you take... manage that? Are you talking about then checking that before people go in the grounds? Oh no, not not for grounds. I'm talking about just getting football matches played. Right. Yeah, but I'm t- from the point of view of fans. Do you envisage mm. the way things are going at the moment that they're going to have to have a you know a bit of a kind of event circuit breaker where they kind of just stop everything for two or three weeks? Like, remember they attempted a circuit breaker in November 2020, didn't they? In order, and, that, and that, the theory was that would allow everyone to have a normal Christmas, but it didn't work because you started to see the impact. As you got towards the end of November, so it was starting to work, and then they just opened everything up again. Again, off you go, have fun for Christmas, because they want it to be popular. And then, of course, it led to another massive spike um, in infection. And um, I know that the, the, the signs are that this particular variant is potentially not as serious, but still, if it, it's way more infectious. So if, if everyone ends up getting it, just statistically, a lot of those people, or a chunk of those people, will end up in hospital and even if they're not dying at the same rate they're still going to be taking up beds in the NHS and when that happens you can't just sit back and allow it to run its course because the NHS will be overwhelmed so so you do end up having to implement even if it is short term some sort of lockdown so I I don't know I just I look at it I want to be optimistic but I can't help feeling like there's going to be a short term closure of football stadiums in the new year Mm. Yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Just hope it doesn't then just spill on into like February and March because they really do have to understand that, you know, we've got Inter Milan in the Champions League and I'm not missing that. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't, away games, fine. In fact, if anything, it can be an advantage because you look at the record of away teams during the, uh, the empty st- season, the empty stadium season, and it was, the f- I think, the first season on record where there were more away wins than home wins across an entire season. Um, so that's fine, but it's it's the home games, you know. You want to a you want to be there if you are like me, a match attending uh, fan. But also you you know you want that that home advantage for your team. That is, is you know it's a definite advantage. And if ever if ever that needed proving, it was it's the difference now in in home form between lockdown football and post lockdown football. Fans matter, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, well that's it then. On that fest- festive note, we'll uh, we'll c- we'll call that a day. Uh, I to our millions of listeners out there, we may uh, I will be going away for Christmas in the middle of next week, so we may be able to get another edition uh, uh, in. We may not. We may have a little uh, uh, two week uh, hiatus, but whatever we do, we'll be thinking of you, our listeners, every step of the way, because without you, we'd be absolutely nothing. And to the I know there's millions of you, so it's difficult to be uh, personal to um, <laughs> to everyone. I wish we could we had time to kind of get to know know you all, but I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this shit and um, have a very very merry Christmas. Ho ho ho!